Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. Good morning, good evening, g'day, good night. My name is Adam Jones. Today we are talking about a book called A More Beautiful Question, The Power of Inquiry to Spark Breakthrough Ideas by Warren Berger. Nice. So obviously it's all about questions. I don't know. So as I was reading, I thought it was like a good, decent book, but way too long. I thought it could have been a lot shorter. But as always, I thought I wouldn't have much to say, but I got shitloads to say. Mm. There's plenty of good stuff in here. Yeah. There's... I've never read a book or really explored the purpose of questioning until now, reading this book. And yeah. I think there's a lot of value in, in asking good questions. And um, it's something we don't really get taught about at school, which we'll yeah, delve into. Yeah, I feel like as I was reading, I didn't think it was that good, like a three stars, but it's good shit. So basically, the quote that sort of inspired this book is by a dude called E.E. E. Cummings. Always the beautiful question who asks a more beautiful Sorry, I fucked that up. Always a beautiful answer who asks a more beautiful question in saying that there's so much info out there, the answers are everywhere, so we need to work on getting better questions. Yeah. So he did a bit of digging and he found that all some of the uh, top dogs in business like Jeff Bezos and uh, Steve Jobs when he was around, they were always exceptional questioners. Mm. Um, so many business leaders are anxious to act, to do. They don't feel they have the time to question. And many perceived questioning can be hazardous to one's career, but if they ask why, they may appear to be uninformed. So that's why yeah. people don't like questioning. Yeah, exactly. And it's like almost to get the right answer, you need to make sure you're on the right track by asking the right questions. And a quote from Einstein, he said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes making sure I was answering the right question. Mm. And because we've got so much stuff everywhere we've got this off-the-shelf advice we've got books we've got podcasts we've got blogs we've got all these experts all these gurus google can find pretty much anything um the answers and the information is like losing value all the time because we the most important thing is finding the right questions to get to the answers that we actually want and we actually need that's right he says anything that forces people to think is not an easy sell because uh, you know, most people love to be just on autopilot and just cruise through life. And, mm. and when you ask a good question, it causes people to think, yeah. take a step back and think, which is, isn't really comfortable for some people. And especially with the world changing so much that we do need to be able to do those things that you just mentioned. We need to also, we need to adapt. We need to be able to recreate things. We need to re-examine our priorities. We need to seek new ways, solve new problems, reformulate our ideas, all that sort of stuff through questions. Yeah. He says, a beautiful question is an ambitious yet actionable question that can begin to shift the way we perceive or think about something and that might serve as a catalyst to bring about change. Yeah, nice. Mm. And it's not just the volume that counts, but better quality questions. So obviously, asking lots of questions is one thing, but asking good questions or more beautiful questions is the other thing. So he says, we're all hungry for better answers, but first, we need to learn the right questions. So chapter one, the power of inquiry. Yep. So throughout the book, he essentially writes the book in yeah. as a series of questions. So you'll throw out a question and then kind of answer it in a way. But um, but yeah, that's how he, he structures the book. Mm. So yeah, chapter one, the power of inquiry. So he starts off by saying, if you never actually do anything about a problem yourself, then you're not really questioning, you're complaining. Yeah, exactly. And he says that questions are good because they have this like light bulb effect they lead to like random associations. They read to you. They almost like force you to start thinking. Like if you pose the question, it forces you to start thinking. If you're given a statement, it's essentially closed. You don't have to think. Yeah. Yeah. So when faced with a problem, one could ask, oh my God, what are we going to do? Or you can ask, what is what if this change represents opportunities for us? Yeah. And it also says like a lot of businesses started with like, 
you know, those opportunities. Why doesn't someone dot, 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 question mark? Or what if we were to dot, 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 question mark? And yeah. that's pretty much it. So that's a, a good example of, of, I guess, the same the same problem or the same thing in, in the external world, but it's just two completely different ways of perceiving mm. it. And one represents an opportunities and challenge and, and everything like that. And one is just, I guess, falling victim to a certain circumstance. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, as you were saying before, man, it's uh, questions are becoming more valuable than answers. Mm. As expertise loses its shelf life, it also becomes um, it loses some of its value. So questions are rising in value, answers are declining because known answers are everywhere and easily accessible. Yeah, definitely. He also says like the glut of information. There's so much information everywhere, and it's making us more ignorant. Firstly, because we know that the answers are always going to be out there, so we don't bother to learn things. And also, like obviously, our relative percentage of understanding goes down as the amount of information goes up the amount that we know as a percentage of that Mm. goes down but the important thing is to have this filtering device there's so much information you can get whatever you want so he says that to get the right stuff you need this filtering device which is the right question you need to separate what's valuable from what isn't you need to find the stuff that's the right for the context uh, and you need to find essentially what matters you know looking at multiple sources but being able to triangulate all those to come up with sort of the right shit that you need and yeah, just on that. So with technology, I guess developing with AI and all that, with being able to sort all these these data for us. So it's it's asking the right kind of questions to uh, end up, I guess, sorting the data. And yeah. he uses the example of doctors here. So doctors will soon have access to some form of uh, cloud-based super search engine that can answer almost any fact-based question. Mm. So then it's rather than in the past it might be in the the doctor's role to understand the facts, but now yeah. it's asking this cloud-based software or something like that, the right question yes. to help the patient and, and help them with their job. Yeah, so much more valuable that if if this cloud can answer any single question you give it, then asking the right questions is becomes the most valuable, most important thing. Yeah. And so it's sort of like transitioning from problem solving to problem finding in that the computers can solve the problem for us. We have to give it the right problems, find the right problems to give it. Mm-hmm. Um, mate, one thing I liked for got a good philosopher friend that questions minus answers equals philosophy, but questions plus answers equals innovation. Mm, it's good stuff, isn't it? So if you can find a problem and successful answer the questions surrounding the problem, you can create a new venture, a new career, yeah. a new industry and innovate like the, like you just said. Yeah, that's sick. Um, yeah, love it. Man, chapter two, I think this is what, uh, you know, Seth Godin's on the front of the book and this is probably why he, he, he loves the education kind of stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, and essentially this um, Warren Berger says, you know, kids ask so many questions and it sort of peaks at like age four, age five and then questioning just drops off a cliff and by the time we get to year six, seven, eight, we stop asking questions. Yeah, so between the ages of two to five, kids ask about 40,000 questions wow. in, that, in that period. As this happens, the, the, there is rapid brain growth occurring and preschool, preschool children ask so much, but by middle school, as you're saying, we, we stop asking. Yeah, and he talks about an awesome reason why. So essentially, like the peak of around this sort of three, four, five age range, firstly, they start with knowing what they don't know. So a real basic example, he says, is they don't know what they're having for dinner. And so step two is understanding that there are multiple different answers. So if you had... Um, soup for dinner every night there's no point asking what's for dinner because there's no possibilities but if you might have soup one night pasta one night and steak and veg one night then in their mind they know there's multiple different options Mm. so they realize okay i don't know the answer to this question i know there could be multiple potential answers so step three is to go try and fill this gap in our knowledge 
And they do that by asking someone who they think might know the answer. So mum probably knows the answer. Go and ask mum what's for dinner. So they know what they don't know. They know there's multiple different options. So they try and fill the gap by asking someone that they think would know the answer. Yeah. Yeah, love it, man. Uh, mate, children age four and five are perfect because, they've, as you said, they've got their brains are still expanding. They're always trying to make connections in their mind. They're seeing things without assumptions. You know, we're not prejudiced when we're age four or five with any of the labels or social stereotypes or anything. They've got the right language skills to ask. Um, and I think a, a funny thing that he, he talks about is that if they ask a question and they get a good answer, then they're satisfied. And it might lead to another question. But if they get a bad answer and they're unsatisfied, they often repeat the same question. Mm. So if you're like, if you've got a kid and they ask the same question twice in a row, don't think they're stupid or they're annoying you by asking the same question. It's probably because you didn't give a good enough answer. Yeah. Whereas if they, if you gave a good answer in the right way and they understood, they're either going to ask a different question or they're going to be satisfied with the answer. Yeah, phenomenal, man. Just cultivating a bit more ignorance, which he talks about more in, uh, toward the end of the book as well. Mm. So yeah, some somehow we define the goal of schooling as enabling you to have more right answers yeah. than the person next to you. So that's the, the definition or the goal of schooling as it stands today. It's all about having the right answers. Yeah, and they prioritize the answers, you know, memorizing things. Like the teacher would say, here's a list of all the planets. Memorize this and I'll test you on it. Yeah. Which is like useless these it's days. Fucking, fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, and it's like almost like the kids who ask the questions are either the annoying kids or they're the dumb kids or that's why they learn to stop asking or they can think, oh, I'll go and, I've learned to read now that I'm six or seven. I can go and read for myself. Yeah, yeah, it's much easier to just keep your head down, don't yeah. put your hand up and just get through school. So yeah, as we go through this process, we start losing beginner's mind. And this is what yeah. a lot of innovators talk about and the virtues of beginner's mind. And that's the state to see things without labels yeah. or without categorization. Yeah, Because when things of- are labeled or filled, then they're no quantities. So we don't even think about them. We kind of just like pass them and... And, you know, that's a tree, that's a moon or whatever. Yep. But as a kid, if you think about like a baby entering the world or something yeah. with complete beginner's minds to the other end of the spectrum, they'll look at a tree and be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what, you know, the fucking moon. Yeah. Yeah, you exactly. can see in their eyes as a baby, right? Yeah, and it's awesome to be in that state. Yeah. And there's a lot in chapter three we'll come to about the power of beginner's minds, which is awesome stuff. Mm. Uh, he, he also talks about how there's like some different people trying to tackle the schooling system and use different ways of teaching that focus on questions rather than answers. Um, but yeah, I don't know if we'll dive, probably won't dive into that yet. But he got, he's got one good question about what this school might be, and I think he might um, steal this a bit from Seth Godin, but what mm. kind of preparation does the modern workplace and society demand of its mm. citizens? What kind of skills and knowledge and capabilities and they be productive and thrive? Yeah. So it's a phenomenal question, I think, that yeah. hasn't been asked at all with the current school system. Exactly. And is the answer, is it memorizing all these different things or is it actually trying to understand new things, trying to learn new things, trying to question everything? Yeah. So it's a pretty yeah, loaded question, but yeah. It is. Well, he's got, he's got follow-up questions here. Should we abandon the failed experiment of teaching facts? Yeah. Definitely. What if we could train our students to be better lifelong learners and better adapters to change? Mm-hmm. And how how might we create such a school? Yeah, nice. It's important stuff. If for someone who takes it on and does it well, we'll seriously like that's world changing stuff. Mm. Chapter three was about so he's made this innovative question technique: why, what if, and how. And so essentially, uh, why is like trying to see things and trying to understand things. What if is then imagining a whole range of possibilities and then how is questions about how to actually do it? Yeah. So, yeah, why it's a, a process of like stepping back, noticing what others miss, challenging assumptions, question the questions, 
and take ownership for part of the question. Yeah, nice. And it's almost like that you have to step back to move forward and it's necessary to stop doing and stop knowing in order to start asking, which I think is important that, you know, a lot of people, if they think they know something, they're not going to ask, ask essentially. Like having this sense of knowing makes us less curious, we're less open to new ideas, less open to possibilities. And we often know, know less than we think we know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> a lot of people think they know a lot of things, but if they actually step back, oh, ask some questions, they would not know what they People don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> but if you work in a lot of, if you look at the consulting world, people just in a meeting, they just fucking, it's all a big act. Oh, They're better actors 100%. than they are consultants a lot of the time. They're just full of shit. Everyone in, anyway. But yeah, what you're talking about there, it's like the certainty epidemic. So when many people overestimate their own knowledge, they put their, too much faith in their own gut instinct mm. and they walk around convinced they have more answers than they actually do. So, yeah, you know... Not a good place to be in. Nah. So, you know, it's the opposite of beginner's mind. So, yeah. you're really not opera, uh, offering any kind of new insight into your brain. You're just going through the same programs that, I guess, you were taught from other people without mm. questioning anything. Definitely, man. And you mentioned that we touched a little bit on beginner's mind, but essentially this beginner's mind, it's being empty free from the habits of so-called experts, open to possibilities, seeing things as they are. And I love the quote, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the experts, there are few. Yeah, absolutely nothing. So he says there's huge value in stepping back and sometimes asking why. So if you you look in the workplace example, again, in a meeting um, and where there is a huge certainty epidemic, if you've got a lot of consultants in the room or something like that, then if you're the one who um, cultivates ignorance to say, why are, are we doing this? It could be the most valuable part of the whole meeting or mm, whatever. Exactly. But it's something that no one's ever going to do because of this certainty epidemic. Yeah. And as you say, it's almost like the active. You don't want to be the person who asks a stupid question and be seen to be be seen to be the idiot, but that's so important. Yeah. So he says it's important to let go of what you know temporarily, but it's kind of having the humility to be able to also. And being comfortable with not knowing is part of being able mm. to ask these kind of questions. So if you... If you're going to be someone who takes something from this this kind of book and being questioned, you're going to have to be able to be, I guess, humble and let go of your ego enough to be vulnerable and yeah. and have the. It's kind of like the growth mindset as well. Yeah, definitely, man. I didn't like this book so much before we started, but the more man, the more we do, the more I'm starting to like it. It's <laughs> too much, doesn't it? Man, another another question, uh, another concept he talks about is vuja day, mm. and that's like so deja vu is seeing something different but feeling like you've seen it before. Whereas Vuja Day is seeing something you've seen before, but thinking it's different. Yeah, that's that's essentially what the whole book's about. Yeah. Is looking at things in a new a new light, and then questioning is probably the way of um, yeah. bringing this kind of uh, attitude or mindset toward things in, into your life. Yeah, exactly. So if something pops up and you think, oh, "I've seen this before," I'll just do the exact same as I did last time. That's probably the wrong approach. You need to question, open yourself up to a range of new possibilities. There'll be fresh questions to ask, ideas to pursue, challenges to tackle. There are all these things that they were there previously, but because we thought we knew or we thought we'd seen it before, then we, they went unnoticed. They were under, he says they were under this camouflage of overly familiar surroundings. Mm. So that was the why part of his mm. process. The second part I've got here is what if. Mm. I think, mate, from my understanding, I'll, I'll let you ride with this a bit, but I think it's sort of like the why was almost like penetrating a problem and mm. trying to open up and zoom in on one specific bit, but then what if is imagining a range of possibilities. So why was sort of almost zooming in and then what if is then from that specific area zooming in a little bit? Yeah, it's more of a, an, 
as you're saying, why has the penetrative power to understand, you know, the whole purpose of it? Then what if it's like a, a blue sky moment where you mm. let yourself have just ridiculous, crazy thoughts. And so it has an expansive effect on what your possibilities are. So you can think super big at this phase and, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, nice. And it's sort of like, it's super important to, okay, you've done all these why questions. We don't want to rush quickly into answering them. We need to keep going wider and keep questioning. Mm. So spend plenty of time questioning before you get into answering. Yep. And completely understand some of the things that you might come up in this phase will not survive the how phase, but it's critical mm. innovation. There, There is time for these kind of daydream, daydreaming um, moments where you just let yourself go wild. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, and then the next was... How? How? May I let you tell the spaghetti story? Yeah, so they had this experiment where they had these bunch of kindergartners in the room up against these you know, big dog graduate MBA students <laughs> yeah. who thought they, you know, they knew everything. <laughs> who were probably well into the certainty epidemic. Anyway, the challenge was they had to use uncooked spaghetti, string tape, and then put a marshmallow on top of this building yeah. that they had to um, build out of these raw ingredients. And as you probably guess, the kindergarten students kicked ass to the <laughs> MBA students. So that's funny. The MBA guys brought it in this highly analytical approach, um, but were no match for the kindergartens who just went in there, jumped in straight away, mm. kind of started trying. So they had a lot more goes at the at the problem. Yeah, and then they they kicked ass essentially. So it's it's kind of the trick is to go from one failure to another without losing um, momentum, and it's kind of drawing on the the lean startup kind of thing where we reviewed from eric reese yeah keep iterating on those failures trying things seeing what works what doesn't work and i think it's sort of like this how was sort of like you the how is moving into the action phase into the doing phase so the kids thought okay how can we do this they dived in and tried it and then they thought okay what didn't work about this how can we improve it how can we make it better Mm. Um, and then try it again whereas the nba would probably i don't know they probably had like 3d schematic drawings of buildings and architecture and how they can put the pasta together i don't know and i'm guessing a bit of, a, a bit of ego people oh, yeah, yelling at each other <laughs> oh plenty of that <laughs> <laughs> fucking idiots <laughs> um yeah <laughs> um chapter four chapter questioning four. in business and then chapter five was questioning in life but yeah business got out a little bit in, in business um disruptive innovations by clayton christensen yeah do you know much about that in a nutshell. Well, we've got the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. It's probably to do at some point. But basically, uh, the issue, I think, with the, the Innovator's Dilemma is essentially that like companies, if they're innovators early on and it's successful and they build something successful, they're, I don't know, making a lot of money, selling a lot of products, for them to keep innovating, essentially, they're risking everything they've built. So mm-hmm. in order to go back to the very start and at the low end, try and innovate something brand new and disrupt something brand new, then you have to almost give up what you've, so, so I, man, it's pretty much the iPhone now. Mm. Is it like mm. 10 years ago, the iPhone was so phenomenal, they had nothing to lose on creating this brand new product of the iPhone. And now they've got to iPhone 6, 7, 8, 10, yeah. like they'd be risking the whole thing to go back and innovate and try something completely brand new. Yeah. What it kind of closes in on is, he says here over the last 25 years, and if you look at something like the iPhone over the last 10 years, it becomes more about efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Yeah. So the questions become small-minded. How can we save a little bit of money, make it a little bit more efficient, cut down on a little bit of costs, Yeah. and so forth? They they lose probably the expansive part of the, the questioning process. Yeah. And so that's sort of one thing that holds businesses back is that like history and routine and saying that, you know, this is how we've always done it. This is how we can cut costs to make it better. 
but there's also some real world constraints. And he talked about two different ways to tackle this sort of history and routine and these constraints. One way is to say, or question, obviously, uh, question, okay, what if cost wasn't an issue? How will we approach this differently? That's one way. Or the other way is like, okay, if we only had 10 bucks to solve this problem, how would we rethink our assumptions and how would we um, approach it differently? So either think on one extreme, cost is not an issue or think on the other extreme, you have to do it as cheaply as possible. Yeah. And so there are different ways to tackle these uh, assumptions and doing what you've always done. Yeah. Man, I really like the, the close of the book in toward the end, um, questioning for life. Mm. And which he, so he says at the start, people who are kind of rushing around going from one task to another you know, being all yeah. real busy and oh, just, like, <laughs> fucking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just busy being busy, fucking more, more, more <laughs> kind of thing. But it, it, it's kind of the, chapter five kind of urges you to take a step back, yeah, and ask from the life kind of perspective, like why, why are you doing what you're doing, yeah, and what could you be doing instead, mate? The mountain metaphor, climbing the mountain, I thought was awesome, mm. and it's sort of like there's a few things. Is one is like, what is your sentence? So they say like. You know, he was a good dad who loved his kids and worked hard or something or, you know, whatever your tombstone one sentence is going to be. So think about what that sentence is and then think about this climb. We're all climbing this mountain. You've got to think, okay, what's waiting for us at the top? What do we do once we've got there? Are you enjoying the climb? What are you leaving behind at the bottom? So there are all these interrogative questions you need to ask yourself mm-hmm. about the climb you're going on and are you just being busy being busy or is there more to it? Yeah. Is there something at the top of the mountain waiting for you? Mate, a few more questions to... to, to touch on that one would be like why am i climbing this mountain in the first place am i enjoying the climb mm. what am i leaving behind yeah because he says sooner or later you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come up with these questions that soon you know it might be when you're 70 years old or or if you get struck with this big illness these questions are going to come at some stage in your life and then you're gonna yeah. have to start questioning all this stuff so it's it's kind of like being proactive with these questions and then, yeah. and then I guess, making the life choices um, beforehand. Mate, one other thing I liked in both business and life, and they said rather than doing brainstorming, do question storming. And so brainstorming is essentially, yes, it's good to have a lot of people with different backgrounds or, like, or coming out, approaching your questions from different um, perspectives. But question storming is first, rather than trying to answer it, come up with... 50 different questions and then try and improve the questions and not just ask a whole heap of questions but ask really good questions Mm. make more open questions think of the best possible question before you answer it and so some of those things they talk about in in the life bit is like saying what would you attempt if you knew that you could not fail or another question is if you fail how will you recover Uh, or how can you use productive small failures as a way of learning and avoiding big failures Another important one is what's truly worth doing whether you fail or succeed. Fucking love that one. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that one. Um, he has a good one here for trying to understand people. So for the examples where you might have a misunderstanding with someone where you might just go to blows straight away, yeah. he says here it's it's a process of questioning to get understanding of the other person, which in other books is the value of understanding is covered you know, real, real well. But why might they see the issue this way? Why do I see it differently? Mm. And what are the assumptions they are operating under? And what are the odds I am wrong? Mm. Mate, what are the odds I am wrong? I think that is one of the, the best questions ever. I've never asked it's, it. Yeah. <laughs> the odds are probably a lot higher than you think as well. <laughs> Mate, that, that set of questioning I think would um, hit a lot of religions for six. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mate, one quote I like towards the end of the book, I think I'm hoping you've got a question finished off. But yeah. I liked how he said, keep yourself away from the answers, but alive in the middle of the question. In that don't 
always be questioning, always be finding the next question. Don't be too quick to just answer it and think that's the end of the end of the story. Yeah. So what if we cultivated ignorance instead of fearing it? Mm. Um, and questioners learn to love their great unknown. It's the land of opportunity in terms of great innovation. Yeah, love it. Mate, so we'll end on a question. Yeah. So he says, a beautiful que- this is a beautiful question for the ages. What do you want to say? Why does it need to be said? What if you could say it in a way that has never been said before? And how might you do that? What if the odds that, that I'm wrong? What are the odds that I never was right in this busy life? In the busy life. Why? What if? How? Why should you quit your job? What if you quit your job? And how should you quit your job? Ask these great questions of life. You don't know as much as you think you know. You gotta question shit. Keep questioning everything. Yeah. Question it now. Now look at that mountain you're climbing. Is there another peak to the east or the west? Is there another peak that you can be your best? Yeah. Keep questioning. A more beautiful question. Don't keep asking questions. Make good questions. Volume isn't kind of important. Cause AI can do that shit You gotta ask the right questions So that they can get the questions Question, question